the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. Last week, Pastor Nicole began a new series examining some of the covenants or promises that God made in the Bible to various people throughout the Old Testament. We call this series Five Guys because we're looking at five covenants that God made with five different men. The first person Pastor Nicole shared about was Adam, the first man. We saw that even though Adam disobeyed God and was cast out of the Garden of Eden, God still promises him and us a coming redemption that was fulfilled through Jesus. Today we're talking about Noah. Noah's story may seem very familiar to us, but how exactly does God's promise to Noah still affect us today? That's what we're going to discover. So let's get started today. Here's Pastor Nicole. The Bible is the story of God. And the story of God is about real people, real places, and real faith. And if you're going to fully understand, if you're going to accept, if you're going to live the story of God, we have to get to know the key players in the storyline. The story of redemption starts in the Old Testament, and it is best followed through five men and the promises that God made to those men uh, over the time of the Old Testament. And there are just five characters or five benchmarks that take us from covenant to covenant to help us really digest the Old Testament. See what I did there? Okay. Um, <laughs> those five guys are this. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. So last week we talked about Adam. We discussed the promise that God made to Adam we watched as Adam and Eve uh, were created by God. They were deceived. They, they broke the covenant that they had with God. They sinned. Uh, in Genesis 3, we saw how that brought death and judgment into the world. Now, going on from there, as we continue to read Genesis and look at Genesis, let me just, I hate to break it to you, but things do not get much better, okay? Uh, they have Cain and Abel. They have two sons. Um, out of jealousy, Cain actually murders Abel in cold blood. Then Lamech, who is a descendant of Cain, uh, follows in this disobedience in murderous ways. And he commits murder and is the first to have more than one wife. And, and truly the evil, the destruction, the deception, the pain uh, just continues to run rampant on the earth in just a few short generations. And things go from bad to worse pretty quickly. I think sometimes we think it's taken all this time to get uh, into this evil pit that we feel like the world is. Uh, but really what we saw in the scriptures, it happens uh, pretty quickly within about eight generations. Uh, things go from bad to worse. And so by the time we reach Genesis 6, Genesis 6, six chapters deep, God expresses this growing um, dissatisfaction with humans. Not a good start for mankind. Okay, we're not impressing God at any level as we begin this journey. And I want to read it to you in Genesis 6, 5 through 7. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. And so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Now, this verse is, is heavy. In fact, I don't know about you, but for me, it's almost hard for me to read that the very creator of the universe 
has this very deep moment. In verse five, it says, every human heart had turned to evil. There was no aspect of human nature that wasn't corrupted by sin. There was nothing left untouched. There was no limit to man's corruption. And the wickedness of humans was inconceivable. Have you ever um, maybe read a news story or maybe you've been part of something that just was so terrible that it happened and you thought to yourself, I can't even believe someone could do something like that. Like I can't, I don't know how it can be so violent and so twisted and so inhumane, right? We have sort of this repulsion to the fact that things can get so dark. That's what it was like in that time. And I want to show you, interestingly, in Matthew 24, 37, it says this, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So in other words, the conditions of the world before the second coming of Christ, before the end times, will be the same conditions in Genesis 6. The same conditions in Noah's days. And, and there will be sexual perversion, and there will be demonic activity, and widespread corruption and violence, and constant evil in the heart of man. And, and we know, as we have studied Revelation as a church, as we get closer to the end, the worse the world will get. But what was happening in Genesis 6 is the world had gotten to its worst point. It had gotten to that pivot moment. And the Lord regrets making humans. His heart is deeply troubled. And the Lord was so sad at what the humans were doing to each other. His heart was broken because he knew the type of life humanity could have. He knew the hope and the future of what it could be like. He knew what he had planned. He knew what he could give them. He knew how it could be. But God was grieved because of what humans had made it. Now, I want to be very clear here today as we read the scripture. This does not mean that God uh, was caught off guard. This does not mean God was not perfectly in control or not sovereign. Uh, God, God knew all along that this is how things would turn out, and he had a plan. And we looked at that a lot last week in Genesis 3. But what this text shows us is that God is not unfeeling in the face of human sin and rebellion. Even though God has a plan and he knows that at the end of the day, Jesus will be victorious and all of this sin will be uh, forgiven and there will be, there will be hope and there will be a future, along the way, it hurts his heart, the way that humans uh, rebel and the way that the evil becomes so prevalent because he loves us so deeply. Okay, so we're at a pretty bleak moment in the history of the world. And in Genesis 6, 8, it says this, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Another translation says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Now, what we know from uh, the previous verses is Noah was not a perfect man. Okay, he was not without sin. It said every single human heart had turned from him. So even Noah had to have some sin in his life. We know he is not a perfect man. But Noah found grace in the eyes of God. He didn't earn it. Did you see that? He, he, didn't, uh, he didn't put it in and, and, and get, get lucky to get it. He found it. I love this. No one earns grace. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. No one earns it. But we can all find it. It was true then. 
And it's true today. Romans 5.20 says this, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Isn't that good news? Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. If you today are in a tough spot, you're doing wrong things, you're going the wrong direction, wrong is all around you. I want you to see here in the scripture, where sin lives, grace is ready to meet it. Where sin abounds, God is looking for places to pour out grace. Not because we earned it, not because we figured out the magic way to pray, but because the grace that God can pour out on us is his gift. And we can find it. And if you are in a position where you feel like your life is maybe the darkest it's ever been, maybe you are involved in things uh, that you don't even want to be, but you can't get out. Maybe there are addictions in your life. Maybe there is sin in your life that is causing a whole lot of trouble. All you have to do to find grace is just repent and turn to Jesus. I love Andy's word this morning. Just like Noah, you can't pay off your own debt and earn your way to the Lord. But just like Noah, grace can find you. And because of Jesus' death on the cross, he can forgive you and you will find grace and grace can find you. Is anyone thankful for the grace that has been in their life? I'm thankful. All right, let's um, keep moving in this story. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip down a little bit and talk about the promise or the covenant that God made with Noah. So in Genesis 6, 13 through 14, God says to Noah, <laughs> I love how God gives him the plan. Now, let, let me just take a minute here and, Do you ever like ask the Lord, like, Lord, show me the plan. I just need to understand the plan. And then later you're like, God, thank you that you didn't tell me that plan because that would have really messed me up. This is what I think Noah was probably like, I asked for the plan. And then after God tells him, he's like, eh, like, I don't know. Uh, God says, I'm going to put an end to all the people. The earth is filled with violence because of them. I am going to destroy them and the earth. (laughs) Oh, okay. Noah's like, um, question withdrawn. Um, So God says, make yourself an ark. A what? (laughs) I mean, Noah's probably like a a who? An ark? I mean, they built boats in that time. So he had some context of like what building a boat would look like. But I am sure that Noah did not see that coming. You know, Noah is probably thinking, let me get this straight. So you're going to kill everyone else in the earth as we know it, but you want me to spend the next several years building a really, really big boat in case it rains. Totally baffling. Noah, his mind is probably totally blown. Yet, and this is a whole other sermon and a whole other day, you know what Noah does? He goes to work. He says, okay, well, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But if this is what you're telling me to do, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to follow your instructions exactly. And Noah, the Lord gives it to him, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Uh, This is actually roughly the size of the Titanic. It is uh, equivalent to a 30-story building lying on its side. Okay, so God, uh, God tells Noah, put pitch on it, a petroleum product on the inside and the outside. He tells Noah, bring two of all living creatures into the ark, bring a whole ton of food because you're going to be there for a while. Uh, I, I want you to survive. And in Genesis 6:22, it says that Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And, and I was just thinking about it, and I, I am certain people questioned him. I am certain people thought um, Noah was, was a little bit of a weird fellow, like a few fries short of a happy meal, you know? Wait, okay, this one's better. A few, a few monkeys short of a zoo. 
Come on, that was good as an animal joke. Okay. Um, I'm sure they were wondering, you know, what, what is wrong with him? And to be honest, if I was Noah, I would be willing to bet Noah questioned himself. Has God ever told you to do something and you're doing it and you're thinking, I, this just doesn't seem, maybe I misheard this. How could this actually be the thing that God wants me to do? But Noah obeyed and Noah built that ark and it took him decades. It wasn't like a, couple, a weekend project. <laughs> it took him a long time. Now, we don't know what it was exactly like. I can guarantee you it was not like this clip I'm about to show you, but one screenwriter uh, gave his version of what a modern-day Noah might look like in this film, and I just want you to watch it for a moment. Oh, how are we going to do this? There's no way the five of us can finish on time. We don't have money to hire anybody else. <laughs> Is that a llama with a hammer? An alpaca. They rarely spit at people unless frightened or abused. Let's finish this sucker. No one knows where they came from or how the congressman is getting them to do it, but two by two, animals of all kinds are working with God's speed to build this ark. Thank you. If this flood really does happen, heaven help us. Carson coming to you live from New York Noah's construction site, where we are unable to leave the news van due to hazardous conditions outside. Okay. So in Genesis 7. Just as God said it would, the flood came, and the waters rose, and everything on the earth was wiped clean, and judgment had come. And just like God said, only Noah and those in the ark were left. The scripture says the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. And in Genesis 8-4, it reports that the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And eventually, God receded the waters and Noah and the people exited the ark onto new dry ground. After the flood, God essentially reestablishes humanity. All of the original callings, obligations, and privileges given to Adam are rerouted to Noah. It's as if God is enacting a do-over. He's saying, okay, that didn't go so well. Let's try this again. And the first thing Noah does is build an altar to worship and to the faithful God that has just saved his family, to the faithful God that had given him the promises and then did what he said he was going to do. And in this moment, we see the covenant or the promise that God made Noah one of the five guys. And I want to read it to you. Genesis 9. Then God says to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. 
and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Let me pause right there for a minute. This is a promise or a covenant for Noah and for every generation that would follow. That means this is a covenant that's for you and for me today. Every single generation. And not just with Noah, but with every living creature on the whole earth. This covenant is a promise that will remain in force until the time when the Lord returns to the earth again. There is no scenario in which God will go back on this promise. Okay, so then he continues, verse 12. And God says, this is a sign of the covenant that I am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. And whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind of the earth earth. So the sign is the rainbow. It will be the reminder of this promise. You know, the rainbow is so appropriate because it scientifically consists of the reflection of the rays of the sun in the particles of the moisture in the clouds. Okay, so you have to have the water to have the rainbow. Have you ever thought about that? You have to have the particles of the clouds, the water, the light to have the rainbow. And so the very water that destroyed the earth is used to create every rainbow. Just say, wow. Every time. The very, the the redemption of that moment comes through this. And the rainbow should continue to remind us of some really important things. And so just as we close today, um, I wanna give you three things. Every time you see a rainbow, it's a promise of God every time. That's the original um, purpose for that rainbow. And so every time you see it, I want you to think of three things that God promises us. The first is this. A rainbow is a reminder of the mercy of God. A rainbow is a reminder of the mercy of God. You know, without God's help, Noah would have never been able to find a way of escape from impending doom. In fact, even if Noah had the forethought to build a boat It would have never lasted 150 days. God said, I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you all the instructions. I'm going to give you everything you need. And Noah received God's word and accepted God's mercy. Do you see that? And that's what we can do today. We can't stand sinless before a holy God. None of us can claim to be righteous on our very own efforts. But mercy is the theme of the redeemed and the forgiven. Mercy is being spared from what we deserve. And so Jesus, uh, he tells the story of these two men that went up to a temple to pray. And one bragged about the works, but the other bowed down and cried out, God, uh, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. The, the one guy said, listen, I've done all these things, so I deserve your love, God. I, 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 can, I pray a lot, and I pray out loud a lot, and I help people a lot. And the other guy says, look, I'm not, I'm not worthy, but, but I, I'm asking for mercy upon my life. And Jesus says um, that the confessing sinner went home justified because of his confession and repentance. 
and that the clouds of judgment were hanging over him, ready to break forth with, with wrath and destruction. But when he cried out for mercy, it's like a rainbow uh, replaced those, crowd, th those clouds as a promise of God. And today there is mercy for those who turn to God for forgiveness. There's mercy for those who receive his grace by faith. And so when you see a rainbow, thank God for the mercy that he has poured out on your life. Tell people about the mercy of God. I was at Max and Irma's a few months ago with a friend and there was a reflection of a rainbow coming in the window and it was hitting the back of a, a woman sitting next to me. And I kept noticing it and noticing it. And, and God was like, hey, you gotta go talk to her. And I was like, nope, mm -mm, I'm having my tortilla soup. That's why I came. And God was like, no, like that rainbow, you notice it, you gotta you got go tell her about the promises of God. And I said, no, I am off duty. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't even have my preaching shoes on. And, uh, and the Lord said, no, no, you gotta go. So when I walked out, uh, in fact, I think I was with the burgers. Uh, we were having lunch with the burgers and I walked out and I, I went over to the woman. I said, hey, listen, I don't know what's going on in your life, but this rainbow on your back, you see it? She's like, oh, that's pretty. I said, yeah, that's, that's the mercy of God. And the mercy of God wants to tell you that no matter what you're facing, he can help you through it if you turn to him and that he's gonna pour out on you the grace and the mercy that you don't deserve. And he does it for all of us. And this rainbow is a reminder of that. And it was such a good moment for me to remember, I'm living proof of the mercy of God. I'm living proof. I, I deserve so much less than what God gives me. But in his goodness and in his mercy and his kindness, he's taken my, my broken, selfish life and turned me around to be able to be used for his glory. That, that's the mercy of God. And so that rainbow in that moment reminds us of that. All right, second, a rainbow is a reminder of the message of God. I, I love how God was like, look, this is gonna be the sign. It's gonna flash in the sky for all to see. It's not a secret promise. It's not a private message. This promise was for all the world to see, for all the world to understand. The rainbow is a symbol of the universal offer of salvation available to all who believe. In John 3:16, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and Nicodemus has this understanding that salvation is only for, for religious, for Jewish people. And Jesus says, no, 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 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, if you know it, say it with me, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is saying, you don't understand, it's not for the elite. It's not for the people that can earn it. I came to save people from every nation, every tribe, every language, and God's message is universal in the sense that it is not restricted to one people group, one nation, or one race, it's whosoever. Man, that was a beautiful word from the mouth of God. And I'm thankful for that. Now remember, even though the message is universal, it must become personal. You have to hear it, you have to um, come to Christ personally, your mom's prayers aren't enough. Your, your grandfather's faith won't carry you through. You won't be able to get to heaven and say, well, my family really had a lot of faith. Or my, my best friend prayed a lot for me. God's gonna say, okay, but, but what about you? What did you do 
with the invitation? What did you do with the mercy and the message of God? And I want to tell you today that rainbow reminds us that God knows you and God loves you and his son died for you. And Jesus knows your name today. You are not a number to him. You are not someone that he's not sure about. God knows your name. He cares about you. He calls you personally. And he puts every rainbow in the sky for you, for you to say to you, this mercy and the message of God is for you to encounter me. All right, here's the last one. A rainbow is a reminder of the memory of God. So uh, the mercy of God, the message of God, the memory of God. The memory of God, the fact that God will never forget his promises. Now, there's no doubt you've had people make promises to you and forget them, make promises to you and and, uh, not make good on them. Perhaps you've made a promise along the way. I think we all have at one point in time. But God never forgets his promises. And, And there's this beautiful scripture in Revelation 4. That is just so um, encouraging to me. I hope it encourages you today. Revelation 4, 1 through 3. So this is talking about heaven. And John is writing. He says, after this, I looked. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. All right, now, this is what John sees in the throne of heaven, ready? And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And what was there? A rainbow resembling an emerald encircling the throne. And so that same rainbow, the rainbow that God put in the sky in Genesis 6, when Noah uh, was the one who was spared, that same rainbow sits at the hand of God. And that's what you're going to see when you go to heaven. And so the promise of God is not only while we're here on earth and looking in the sky and seeing it out the window, the promise of God will be there forever in eternity on the throne of God. It's incredible. And that rainbow reminds us that Jesus Christ has provided a way of escape forever and that there's eternity and victory forever. And that when all is lost, like Noah felt in that day, when wickedness seems to be winning, when evil seems to be rising, Jesus in his love and his mercy shows up on the scene and makes a way. And in the heavenly place right now, there's a rainbow because all of heaven knows that the promises of God will never fail. The promises of God will always come, that he will never let us down, that what he said will happen no matter what. A rainbow reminds God what he said, although he never forgets, and reminds us that he will do what he said he would do. Would you stand today? I want to pray. Uh, Hebrews eleven seven also talks about Noah, gives a little tiny part of his life. The New Testament writer said this, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Let's pray this morning. God, I pray we could have faith like Noah. God, that we could uh, move in confidence even when we don't see. God, we could have the faith to do and build and walk and do the things that you're asking us to do even though it's not even raining outside yet. God, I pray that we could be prepared for the work that you have before us. And God, we could remember your mercy 
We could remember your message. We could be confident in the memory of God every time we see a rainbow. In fact, I pray that that everyone in this room sees so many rainbows this week that they don't even know what to do with themselves because God is just reminding them of the mercy of the message of the way, God, that we can walk in confidence that you will never fail us. So God, with with Noah's faith and with my faith and with the faith of the people in this room, we mix it together, we give you praise, we say hallelujah, we love you, we thank you for how good you are. And it's in your name I pray, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Eerie First Podcast. We'd love it if you'd give us a rating and review on your podcast app, and please subscribe so you never miss a message. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.